there, Kermaholics. It is your host, Kenzie. I am back this week after I took off last Friday. I had some personal things going on that I had briefly shared on our Instagram and in our Facebook discussion group. I was pretty vague about what I have going on, but I do eventually plan on talking about it. And I just want to say thank you to every one of you who reached out and sent messages, text messages, letting me know that you're keeping me in your prayers as I've got some pretty serious things going on here. So again, thank you guys so much for always showing your support and continuing to come back every week. It means so much. This week, I'm here with another Missing Monday episode. Missing Mondays was created because at any given time, 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. While some are found or live or deceased, the majority of them are still missing today. And it is my goal here with Crimeaholics to keep missing persons' name and information in the media to aid in their return home the best that I can. Lately, I have been really getting into some of those missing person cases that are more than 20 years old and really trying to make sure that we remember their names. So this week on Missing Mondays, I will be telling you about the disappearance of Judith Ewell, who was a five-year-old little girl who went missing in 1967. The Elwell family was your typical American family living in the Oklahoma City in 1967. Judith Elwell's father worked as a day laborer after spending some time serving in the U.S. Army. Her father joined the Army in just the 11th grade, but not long after enlisting, he was declared medically unstable after a mental breakdown and was honorably discharged with full military benefits. It has been said that the mental breakdown was due to extensive trauma that he had faced as a child. When he was just eight years old, his mother shot his father to death in front of them, and then just two weeks later took her own life. Despite the trauma he went through, Judah's dad never let it stop him from doing what it took to give his family the life he felt they deserved. Her father never got a job utilizing his degree. As I mentioned before, he pretty much worked as a day laborer, being able to give him tons of time to spend with his family and build that family life and bond that he always wanted. He was determined to be able to give Judith the family that he had always desired as a child. Judith Elwell was like any other five-year-old little girl. She had beautiful, dark, curly hair with stunningly long eyelashes. She loved to play dress-up, play with her dolls, and spend the warm days out playing with the neighborhood kids. The only rules that her parents really had for her was that she was never allowed to go too far from their home without another one of the neighborhood children. On July 6, 1967, Judith was doing just that. She was outside playing with all of her neighborhood friends, and they were enjoying their summer break. Sometime on the 6th, between 6.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m., Judith had came inside and asked her mother, Lola, if she could put small pink little rubber bands inside her doll's hair. While Lola was putting the ribbons inside the doll's hair, she said that Judith ran out to the backyard to go back outside and play with her friends. This is the very last time that she had ever seen Judith alive. Mr. Elwell had came home that day and typically at the end of the day, almost every day, he said that Judith was waiting outside of the home next to the bush in the driveway so that way she could run up and hug her dad when he came home at the end of the day. He thought that it was odd that Judith was not there waiting for him on this particular day, but he really didn't think too much of it until he went inside and saw that his wife was completely frantic and was not able to find Judith. He gets super worried and he calls the cops to report his daughter. 
daughter missing. What had caught my eye about the disappearance of Judith was how well the investigation was handled into her missing persons case. Right when she was reported missing, the police took this very seriously. And according to the Daily Oklahoman, this was one of the most in-depth, extensive missing person searches that have ever been conducted in the Oklahoma City area, just ever in history. Right away, there was over 300 searchers that were out on foot over a 10-mile radius. It included the police, the Civil Air Patrol, civilians, firefighters, and there was tons of radio stations that were broadcasting all of her information. Just two miles from the Elwell home, a huge quarry had been drained as well as swamps, river areas. They did everything that they could in their power to search to make sure that Judith was not somewhere within her home radius. It seems like nowadays it is almost impossible to get people to take it seriously and to look even just in a two-mile area of someone's home. On July 7th, just the very next day after Judith goes missing, the searchers find her tiny little blue tennis shoe just directly behind her home. The searchers start to really comb in on this area and look for any sign of Judith or any piece of evidence that they can find to help locate her, but nothing else turns up. After the police find Judith's little tennis shoe so close to her home, they start to come up with the theory that maybe her parents are responsible for her disappearance. So they bring her parents down to the police station for questioning, and while they are there at the police station, they have other police officers and the investigative team go over to the Elwell home, and they start digging up their backyard, thinking that maybe they buried Judith in the backyard. But after completely tearing up the backyard, and both of the Elwell parents having very thick alibis, the police realize that they are back to a dead end. They start searching the town for all the local sex offenders, going door to door, questioning them about Judith and that they were in the area that day, which is another thing that caught my eye because nowadays that is not something that happens. After going door to door of each of the sex offenders' homes, the police had figured out that once more they were left at a dead end. On July 11th, detectives had found these Yukon apartment complex buildings and there was a possible suspect who was in these apartments so they went there they searched the area they questioned the suspect but again they were just left at another dead end there was other tips given to the police that had brought up different theories in her disappearance one of those was that maybe judith had fallen into the oil tank that was not far from her home because according to people in the area these kids in her neighborhood played there a lot i'm not too sure why there's kids her age playing around oil tanks but again things back then were so different compared to how they are now. Another theory was that maybe there was burglars in the area and Judith had seen them stealing people's property and so maybe they had taken her, but there was just no evidence to be able to back up any of these theories. They had even searched the oil tank and it showed up nothing. With police having very little luck finding any trace of Judith inside Oklahoma City, they decided to expand their search all the way to different states such as Arizona, Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, and New Mexico. They were hanging up missing persons flyers in every single city in one of those states, which again really caught my eye because back then obviously there's not very much technology. The Amber Alert was never even close to being thought of. So the fact that the police went as far as going to all of those different states to hang up flyers really caught my eye 
and made me realize how well of a job they were doing trying to find Judith. Despite doing everything they could in their power to try and bring Judith home, nothing was bringing them any closer. That was until another little girl in the area went missing. On August 3rd, 1967, so almost a month after Judith's disappearance, a little girl by the name of Brenda White goes missing just a mile from her home after she went to a place called Pop's Grocery Store. And her little bicycle that she had rode to the grocery store was left sitting outside. Brenda was born on November 22nd, 1960 to her parents Bobby and Connie White and they lived in Midwest City which was not too far from Judith's home. The police believed immediately that Brenda and Judith's abductions were connected due to all the similarities in their cases. Both of the girls were right around the same age. They both were abducted in the beginning of the month. Both of them were home with their moms at the time of their disappearance and their fathers both just happened to be at work. Not to mention, in both of their cases, really strange cars had been seen in the area of where the girls went missing on those days. Both of them were abducted in the daylight with all kinds of people around, yet nobody had seen a single thing happen. The police were absolutely convinced that whoever took Judith also took Brenda. Brenda's disappearance was handled much like Judith's disappearance. Right after she went missing, the police had got over 400 people involved with helping with the search, including the personnel over at Tinker Air Force Base. Despite having all of this extra help searching for Brenda, there was just nothing turning up in her disappearance. There was no shoe found. There was no leads coming in. There was really no tips. That was until three months later in November, they got a call from a man who said him and his friend were out quail hunting down near Tinker Air Force Base and they had found a human skull. Along with the human skull, they had found dozens of bone fragments, a pair of little girls' underwear, and a tiny blue and white dress. Very quickly, her parents were able to determine that that dress was the dress that Brenda was wearing on the date that she went missing. There was a man by the name of Kenneth Anderson who lived just 100 yards away from where Brenda's body was found. The police questioned him in regards to her disappearance and body being found near his home, and he said that around the time of Brenda's disappearance, there was two men that he saw walking on this 80-acre plot of land that were carrying two buckets and two shovels, but he did not think twice about it because it was not unusual for men to be out in this area hunting. The police did their best trying to track down these two men that were seen out walking with buckets and shovels, but unfortunately, they were never identified. Just one month after Brenda's body was found, the medical examiner ruled her death a homicide, but ruled the cause of death undetermined because they were not able to figure out what happened based off how badly her body was decomposing. There were several suspects that were questioned in Brenda's murder, but there was never a sufficient amount of evidence found to be able to determine exactly who took her life. So the police are feeling completely defeated with one girl still missing and another little girl brutally murdered. It has been well over 40 years since Judith Elwell went missing and Brenda White's life was taken at such a young age. Someone somewhere knows something. Is Judith's disappearance and Brenda White's murder connected? We do not know, but someone out there does. 
Judith Elwell went missing on July 6, 1967 from Oklahoma City. She was just five years old at the time of her disappearance. She had long black curly hair and dark brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a pair of light green shorts, a blue and white striped pullover with white socks, and blue canvas sneakers. As of right now, she would be well into her 60s. If you have any information about the disappearance of Judith Elwell, you are encouraged to call the Oklahoma City Police at 401 if you have any information about the murder of Brenda White, you are encouraged to call the number that I just provided. Cremaholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Cremaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram at cremaholics.podcast, or you can follow me personally on Instagram at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore. Cremaholics, as always, be aware and take care.